Hey there, would you like to be featured on the MOD Report segment where you, yes you, will be heard across the globe? What about being an actual guest on the show, either in person or remote? Don't like your voice? No problem. If you have an idea for a show that you wish we would air, we want to hear from you. Visit inospire.com and click on podcasts, then submit ideas. Again, that's inospire.com podcast, then submit ideas. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to the MOD Report. Hey, hey, welcome to the MOD Report. This is the show where we talk all things HR and the crazy things we go through in the hospitality industry. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Giffen, and today I first rant about abusive supervisors in the hospitality industry and its impact to your organization and the bottom line. And then we're joined by my friend, Elliot Ammon, to hear from a guest's perspective of poor service encounters in the industry and the need for repeat business. Lastly, we'll dive into the final segment of the MOD report. I don't wanna give too much away, but it involves poop. Yes, poop as in feces and a urine soaked hotel mattress. And now the rant. Research on supervisory abuse of employees in the hospitality industry is found in a multitude of peer-reviewed and data-supported articles. In a published 2016 peer-reviewed article on the relationship between abusive supervision and employee career satisfaction, the researchers studied how individuals may perceive abusive supervision. Three findings came from this research. First, to no one's surprise, abusive supervision of employees led to career dissatisfaction. Second, newly hired employees had difficulty assimilating into a new work environment because of abusive supervisory oversight. And lastly, employees' tenure with the company declined, thus leading to turnover. Don't think of abusive supervision as managers or leaders being mean or angry people. In fact, it can come in many different forms. And as a result, it will drive employees to quit their jobs. What specifically about poor leadership drives people to quit their jobs? Well, a recent Harris and Yo poll surveyed 1,043 employed U.S. adults and found that these following issues are the top concerns that cause employees to move on. Now, there are several, so I'm just uh, going to name quite a few and do it fairly rapidly. But first, 53% agree that managers showing disrespect for employees in lesser positions is going to cause those employees to look elsewhere for work. 53%, that's over half of your workforce. Here's a few others. Breaking promises. As a leader, you break promises, your people are likely going to quit. Another one, 
having unrealistic expectations for their teams or gossip about employees to other members of the team. 39% of working adults throughout the United States said that they will quit as a result of gossip in the workplace. Do you have a policy in your handbook that does not permit gossip in the workplace? What about your core values and what does that say about how people treat others? I don't know about you all, but I myself have actually quit jobs where some of those things were actually happening. An abusive supervisor to the point to where they had unrealistic expectations or they micromanaged and had absolute disrespect for positions below theirs. In fact, there's one specific example of a manager I used to work for who would dictate that I go into the restaurant and do XYZ duties while he sat in the lobby with his shoes off in front of hotel guests watching his people work. I didn't tolerate it. In fact, I quit and I took my employees with me as they followed me along my career path. Leadership today requires leaders to act as a coach, not a tyrant. Leaders today need to act as if they are a coach of a sports team. Running a business is like running a sports team. You need to motivate your people, inspire your people, train them, develop, mentor, give them the tools to succeed in the workplace. Because when your team fails, the leader is the failure, not the team. And when the team succeeds, the leader succeeds. Wise up, wise up. Abusive supervision doesn't drive results to the bottom line. It doesn't work. This isn't the industrial revolution anymore, folks. Abusive supervision doesn't drive results to the bottom line. Rather, it drives great people out your door to your competitor where they will thrive and take your company down. And that, my friends, is the rant. All right, Elliot. How's it going? Welcome to the MOD Report as we enjoy a glass of Prosecco. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It wouldn't be, a, uh, it wouldn't be an Elliot Ryan time if we weren't having a glass of wine about, you know, at, what time is it? At 11.45 in the morning. It's no bad time to start. That's right. And that's the <laughs> hospitality attitude. So uh, to our listeners, just real quick, Elliot is a, is a friend of mine. And I thought he would be a great person to have on the show as we talk about guest service experience encounters and the need for hospitality businesses to earn repeat business. And so, you know, we've asked Elliot to come on the show because we have firsthand experience of <laughs> going out to restaurants and maybe even some hotels or times we've been to Vegas or San Diego, Palm Springs. He's my traveling buddy. We have experienced some interesting service issues, to say the least, and not just the service issues that we've encountered together, but some that you have in your own personal uh, experience. So that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I feel like I have a very unique ability to attract some very interesting scenarios, just even starting off 
<laughs> my uh, unique talent for always ordering the one item on the menu that they have run out of. Um, all the time. All the time. Um, so even just, yeah, sharing some of my experiences, some of my insights, and hopefully it sparks some good conversation. Yeah, so um, at the university, I, I, I teach a, a module with my students on the necessity of repeat business and why it's important in the hotel restaurant industry because the cost of losing a guest forever is quite expensive. You know, things such as poor reputation that, um, that might be happening through social media when a guest posts something on TripAdvisor or on Yelp. So that reputation gets out there and, and the bad publicity and word of mouth or um, even the loss of that guest of canceling business with you or their contract with your hotel. So I am curious to hear about a couple of stories of terrible, terrible customer service experience encounters that you have had and whether it was a restaurant or a winery or a hotel or any of those experiences. So why don't you tell us a, a story and let's see where it takes us. All right. Um, so there's definitely one that comes to top of mind uh, whenever I think about an experience that just was absolutely terrible and I've made a conscious decision. I will never go back to that hotel chain ever again. Um, so my first job was for a jewelry manufacturer and I essentially helped manage all of our accounts across the country, which required a lot of travel, trade shows, visiting clients, etc. Um, didn't really realize going into the jewelry industry, probably should have assumed a lot of security risks that go along with that. So really leading into travel and at every trade show, they very much express the need, do not carry any jewelry on you. If you leave a location, like walk out of the store and you're a traveling salesman, they actually tell you to put your bag on the ground, empty out all the contents, empty out your pockets, because if you are being followed by like a gang or something to explicitly show, I do not have jewelry on me. Hmm. So my very first trip was up to the San Francisco area and all of this knowledge was imparted on me. So I was already a little bit paranoid. Um, and so I was staying in a hotel and I definitely was, since being paranoid, made sure I had the security latch on, made sure I was good. At 6 a.m. in the morning, I was woken up to my door hitting the end of the security latch. And me, set up, groggy, I'm just like, I have no idea what's going on. Hmm. Kind of leaned up and was just like, um, hello? No response. And I could see a shadow of someone in the doorway, but they didn't say anything. And so again, repeat, I'm, um, can I help you? A flashlight goes on and starts shining in my room. And I'm just confused at that point. No idea what's going on. And then the door just slowly closes. And me, now I have all these ideas in my head of some gang member trying to rob me. Yeah. Jump up out of bed. Full disclosure, I was also naked. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and essentially barricaded the door, freaking out, not knowing what was going on. And so I start going through my head, what could have happened? Was security trying to get in my room for some reason? Yeah. It's 6 a.m. Would like the cleaning service be trying to get in my room? So first thing, I called my coworker that I was there with and just said, like, make sure your door is locked. Someone just tried to get in my room. I'm going to call the front desk. I don't know who it is. Call the front desk. I was said, any chance security would be trying to get in my room at this time? Oh, um... I wouldn't think so. Okay, well, 
someone just tried to open my door. Is the cleaning service going around? Like, someone had to have had a key to get in my room because I, being paranoid, am positive my door was closed. Someone got in. And the person at the front desk gave zero care, zero mind, gave me no alleviation for my concerns. Just was like, maybe you did leave it open and some kid just tried to open it. Hmm. At 6 a.m. in the morning, like... It just didn't add up, and I'm on the phone saying, I, I need you to look into this, please, because yeah. I'm stressed out, and in my, I don't want to tell her on the phone, too. Here's a situation. It could be someone trying to rob me because I'm a traveling jewelry salesman, but gave zero care in the world. Luckily, we were checking out that day. I went to the front desk, made the same complaint, and again, zero care in the world, gave no mind to my concerns, and basically just played it off as, you're being paranoid. Don't worry about it. Hmm. Which, in my mind, insane. Like, yeah. For me, a bad customer service experience, if you make a mistake, that's fine. I, we understand people make mistakes, mistakes happen, or if something happens. My only thing is, at least give me the idea that you are doing something to try to remedy the situation. Yeah. Or you're taking it into concern. Let me look into that for you. Let me talk to security. Let me look at some camera footage, whatever it might be. I got none of that. I got absolutely nothing. It was, thank you for your stay. Have a nice day. Move yeah. on with your life. Yeah, and you know, there's there's a there's a model out there that's known as the service recovery model that we use to train guest service agents, whether in the airline, hotel, restaurant industry, any any guest service facing industry. We we deploy the service recovery model, and one of the basics of the service recovery model is this concept of empathy where the agent, in your case, the front desk agent, was showing a lack of empathy where he or she truly understood your feelings in that very moment. You know, there was, you mentioned that there was a lack of care and there was no concern. And as a result, you're not wanting to go back. Exactly. All because of one employee over one phone call showed just a simple, genuine care of concern, empathy. Exactly. Yeah, if, if they had expressed any concern for, oh, yeah. yes, someone should not be trying to enter your room. Let me look into that for you. It would have been a totally different story. But they gave me nothing to yeah. work off of to want to give them that repeat business. Without naming uh, the hotel name, is it a well-known brand that yes. our listeners would be very familiar with? Yes, it would be. And not a motel. Not a motel. This was a hotel in the San Francisco Bay Area. Correct. So... Um, the point and why I mentioned that, you know, we don't like to name names of uh, particular businesses, but the fact is, is it's happening. It's out there. I, I don't care if you are a St. Regis, Ritz-Carlton, or even a Motel 6. The fact is, is that you are serving a customer or you are serving a guest in a very particular market. And the fact that we are not showing genuine care and concern for our guests is troubling, which is um, why we wanted to hear this story from you. So. Do you have any other uh, examples or other stories of a, of a terrible customer yes, I do. service encounter? Um, so, I mean, for those ones too, you're talking about large chains yeah. or large companies that are very well known. So, I can see it made from that perspective. They're not trying as hard to maybe get that repeat business because they assume their name is just going to push them to get that business anyway. 
if you're like, booking travel through Concur or some website that does the travel for you, it pops up there, easy peasy. Yeah. But especially when you look at small businesses, such as the pizza shop that we went to. Ooh, we're going to hear about the, the Anna pasta salad. <laughs> All right, this is a good one. This is a good one. Um, <laughs> yeah, you and I, we went out for dinner and a glass of wine, and we ordered a nice Anna pasta salad. I praise you because I just immediately dove in, started scooping it on my plate. You were hungry. About, I was hungry, and I was about to just start eating, and lo and behold, you look into the salad, and <laughs> and there's a wood screw. There's a screw in our salad. Well, and to be clear, when we say a wood screw, it was a metal screw about yes. two inches? Yeah, two, two to three inches, yeah. Yeah, nice and sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow yeah. <laughs> just rolled off of a shelf or I no idea. But we brought it up. Small business. I think it was what the owner or the GM, I can't remember specifically what her title was. Yeah. She just brought us a new salad, didn't comp anything, didn't she she showed zero concern. She was just like, yeah. Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Um maybe it was like in the, the bag mix that we use. But you know, but you remember, she actually took us to the back of the kitchen. Oh, to try to... She actually took us to the back of the kitchen and she's like, oh, I, I it might have fallen off of the shelf right here. And she's investigating it with us, the customer, the paying customer to try to troubleshoot and figure out where that missing screw came from. Yeah, at that point, just kind of <laughs> solve the problem. You don't need to prove to me like where the screw might have, a screw ended up in our salad. End of story is what it is. Yeah. That is a situation where you just need to tuck tail and salad's free, pizza's free, whatever you need to do to make that situation right. Because that could have been a way, if I swallowed that screw somehow, which if I'm swallowing swallowing a two to three inch screw without even realizing that's in my mouth, I probably have a problem. But anyway. Doesn't matter. Yeah. That is a, that could have been way worse situation or scenario than they they were playing it up to be they didn't show any concern for what had happened or yeah. the situation they could have ended up in yeah so another that's another great story you have any more um well for me in particular we have, we have time for one more one more okay this is an easy one so i'm one of those people that has the aversion to cilantro um so for me anytime i go to a mexican restaurant or a thai food restaurant i have to ask no matter what the dish is i have to ask is there cilantro in this dish and if there is, I do not want cilantro. Sometimes they try to like push back. Oh, is it because you have an allergy or something? It's yeah. Like, you know what? At the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter. I'm asking for no cilantro. And if you can accommodate, that's great. Um, I don't know if that makes me sound like persnickety or not, but whatever. Um, but there, this is, I guess, not a certain situation, just broad situations in general. Because it happens more times than I would care for. That they bring my food, I take a bite, if it's like a burrito or something, can't see it, and yeah. I get a mouthful of cilantro. Yeah. I Cilantro tastes very, very awful to me. I'm not going to just power through and eat it, which a lot of my friends try to say, like, oh, don't just eat it, don't complain, whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm paying money for this food or this service. It doesn't have to be absolutely perfect, but if I ask for a certain thing, no cilantro, mm-hmm. I expect it that way. And... More times than I would like to count, the server comes by and I tell them, I ordered this no cilantro, it has a lot of cilantro, and their response is, oh, well, 
It actually, they, they, in the back, they pre-mix it in with the rice, so it's kind of hard for us to remove it. Yeah. Um, okay, if that's the case, why didn't you tell me mm-hmm. when I ordered the dish? Like, this is knowledge you had, clearly, because you just walked up. You didn't have to go back and check. You didn't have to go check with the kitchen. You knew that the cilantro was pre-mixed in with the rice. Tell me right then and there. And that, that's my thing. Like, if I need to tell, and I work in sales, I work in customer service too. Yeah. If I have to tell someone no, I'm going to give you a reason why that is a no. I'm not going to just say, nah, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's, hey, I can't do that, and here's the reason why, or let me look into that further for you. And then do you offer a solution? I like an alternative? Try it if I can in the moment, obviously, yeah. but... Um, Would you expect that from like a restaurant server who says, hey, the cilantro is mixed in with the rice. Sorry. However, here's here's a solution that I want to offer you. Yeah, that would be perfect. Like an alternative. Yeah, like... That's a problem solver, right? Hey, our white rice or our dirty rice has the cilantro mixed in, but we have brown rice that has no cilantro. Exactly. Perfect. Or exactly. do you want like potatoes mixed in versus whatever the solution might be? Yeah. As long as you give... Some try at least try to give me some resolution and yeah, rather than just shut it down, be open and, and be transparent about the situation. Versus, I take a bite and I'm yeah. now disappointed, and that's the service I expect from that restaurant now moving forward. Yeah, so I'm curious in all of these bad customer service experiences, we you know, you've named three in particular. On average, how many people did you tell about this about these, these poor service encounters after they occurred? How many people would you tell? Um, I would say on average, it'd be like one or two people. Yeah. Usually you just tell the person that's in front of you, whether it's the server or the front desk person. Um, but what about like friends and family or... Oh, beyond that. Even, yeah, uh, yeah. Not the organization. Oh, a lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I am a gossip. I like to talk. Yeah. I like to sit around with my wine and cheese with friends and family and I talk and tell stories. And do you name the, do you name the actual hotel do. by name yes. and you name the restaurant by name? Yeah. So. You know, research actually indicates that on average, for every poor guest service encounter, your guest is going to tell at least 10 people of that bad experience, minimum. And that doesn't include what you might be doing on social media, what you're saying on perhaps Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, goodness, what else is out there? TikTok, TripAdvisor, Yelp, the list goes on. And you are now communicating that poor service encounter to millions of people, if you choose to name them by name. Yeah. Actually, another good example. Sorry, I'm going to keep going. Very recently, last week actually, I went to a dentist appointment and sat there for two and a half hours to not even get my teeth cleaned. And it's a dentist office that many of my employees got auto-assigned to. And I went there. I've had a number of good experiences there, but this past time... Two and a half hours Uh-oh. to not even get my teeth cleaned. I immediately went back to the office and told everyone and said, hey, if you make an appointment there, make sure like I am going to be seen at this time. Yeah. And that's, I mean, they rely on that business of people going and exactly. now people start changing. And let's face it, there are a lot of dentist office options around yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah, plenty. And, and dentists, like attorneys and like consultants or even like hotels and restaurants, they rely heavily on word-of-mouth advertising. Yep. That is where their, their bread and butter comes from, right? It's from referrals. They're referral-based companies. And so um, that, whether hospitality or not, dentistry, medical field, et cetera, same thing. You are dealing with patient-facing 
guest services at that point. It's no different. So how about a fantastic customer experience that you encountered that, um, well, yeah, I'll just leave it open to you. Tell us about a, a, a fantastic customer service experience that you encountered and, you know, the same questions for follow-up, you know, would you go back? Why do you go back? You know, if you just want to talk about that for a moment. Yeah. So the one that comes to top of mind for me, um, it's a winery out in Temecula. So initially my brother and a couple of his friends, they became members there and word of mouth spread to me. I signed up as well. And as far as the wineries in Temecula and generally with wineries, you kind of like that more smaller homey feel. This is one that's actually more, I would say corporatized. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit bigger and has a lot more volume of people that come through, Yeah, which for me in a winery experience actually is kind of a turnoff. But in this situation, the service I get every single time I go is so phenomenal that I am okay with the number of people that are there. I am okay with the crowds. I am usually not that person. But in this situation, the person behind that counter, they are friendly. They are nice. They are knowledgeable about the wines. They are accommodating. A lot of wineries are very persnickety. I don't know why that's the word that keeps coming to mind about... You're getting that that minimum pour. I'm not going above it. You want to just taste something before you actually try it. I've had people, I ask them to describe, hey, can you describe this wine for me? And they're like, the description's on the menu. Mm. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. But this place, they, it's phenomenal. And every single time we go to Temecula, our intent is, okay, we're going to start here. We're going to start at this winery. And we're going to go around and visit a few others and make the trip around. And every single time we go, we are enjoying ourselves so much at that location that we stay and we end up spending the whole day there. Yeah. It's because we like the service so much. We like the people. We like the wines. It's just a great experience all around. And I think that ties in a lot to kind of a general point you talk about in all of your episodes of your podcast is they have created a culture for their employees where they love to come in they love to work they love wine they love talking to people about wine and it just creates that great experience for that employee as well as their customers yeah for example there was one person that we were speaking to there he commuted out from irvine to temecula every saturday and sunday just to work there for eight hours or where it is yeah and mind you for for because some uh, of our listeners are global and you know that that commute with traffic could very well take two hours um, one way. Yep. And so you have you have an employee commuting, you know, over 50 miles ish one way um, for an hour and a half to two hours for a job that pays maybe a little bit over minimum wage. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you're making a little bit of tips here and there. I yep. mean, and how was and how was that person? How do they treat you? They were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I remember it still to this day. It was probably three years ago that I had that conversation with them about. Oh. And yeah, I yeah. still remember because in my mind, it stood out as, wow, that is commitment to not even like a full-time like nine to five like salary position. This yeah. is just something you decide to do on the weekends in your free time. And this is what you want to come and do. Like kudos to you. Kudos to this establishment. Like that is incredibly impressive yeah 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 it's crazy um and the fact that that service encounter was over three years ago and you continue to go back uh is pretty impressive you know there's there's hundreds uh i don't know about hundreds maybe 
don't know. How many wineries do you say are in Temecula? Any idea? Uh, I'd say somewhere like 50 to 75. That sounds, that sounds about right. I'm doing a quick, uh, yeah, here we go. A quick search here with the California Winery Advisor indicates, yeah, there's 40 plus wineries in Temecula. And the fact that you continue to go to this one winery, which is big, it's a big yeah, winery. It's a big winery. Um, corporate, corporatized? Is that even a word? I don't know. I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that you continue to go versus those smaller ones is is a testament to what they are doing. And you know, it really is at the end of the day about taking care of your people. And when you're taking care of the employee, that is then translated into taking care of the customer at the end of the day. Um, so that's great. So, um, we're running up on the clock here. So I have a couple of more questions that I'd like to get to, you know, you're a customer, I'm a customer. We're all customers at the end of the day. Um, but oftentimes we forget that service industry professionals are simply human and are probably underpaid for the amount of work they're, they're, they're putting forth. However, I find that customers often have such high expectations and expect so much from service professionals when customers are not necessarily willing to pay more for that service. So I guess I guess the question is, is why do, even me, I'm guilty of it sometimes, why do I have such high expectations from service professionals knowing that they are hardworking, underpaid individuals, but I'm not willing to pay more for that service? Yeah, no, it's... It's 100% a valid point. Um, I think there's a couple of factors that kind of lead into that. First being the idea of the customer is always right. Mm. I think we've taken that and really run with it. Um, that To the point that people don't understand, hey, mistakes are made, things happen. That's fine. And again, it goes back to that point of as long as you help me to remedy the situation versus just accept it at face value and, hey, we messed up is what it is, like, Take it or leave it. Yeah. As long as they try to help accommodate. But there are people, and I grew up in Calabasas, um, which a lot of people know about Calabasas. Thank you, Kardashians. Um, yeah. With a lot of people who expected very high quality service. And I would see people who it'd be a minimal mistake and they would blow up over it. And obviously, you're always going to have those customers. You're always going to have those people who are the nightmare customers. You're never gonna be able to avoid that. It adds added stress onto those service professionals, is what it is at the end of the day. But again, in my mind, as long as you try to offer a solution, you show empathy, you try to remedy the situation, if you do make a mistake, you're doing the right thing and you're moving in the right direction. When we talk about the wages and you know traditionally being underpaid, in my mind, I feel like we've put a heavy emphasis on tipping being that main source of income. Mm. And I actually think it'd be great to move to a philosophy more so like Australia or certain European countries yeah. where tipping's not even in the equation. It's just you have a base wage that's higher than just like minimum wage. You have benefits. And there are some people who might say if you remove the tipping aspect, does that actually still provide that incentive for them to provide quality um, service to you? But I think that goes hand in hand with creating a good culture. If you have a good company culture and people want to come into work and want to and enjoy working at your establishment or your hotel or your yeah. restaurant, whatever it is, they're going to output good service. That is going to happen if you create that good company culture, people are going to be happy to come in and to work. If you have a bad company culture, 
they're going to come in. They're going to regret having to come in for those eight hours. They're going to be in a bad mood and that bad mood is going to translate to the customer. And then they don't, if it is built into their base wage versus having to work for tips, they're not going to put in that added effort that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And I think that's a whole nother podcast episode yeah. <laughs> is we can talk about, you know, uh, the future of tipping and gratuities in American culture, because as, as the cost of living increases and, and the cost of service and food and all of that and benefits and mandated health insurance, all that is trickling down to the customer yep. who at some point is going to say, you know what? I am not paying $18 for a cheeseburger at that restaurant. That's exactly. just, that's plus tip 20% on top of that. And let's look at now the industry as a whole with food delivery services. Yeah. What is to incentivize it? As a restaurant, you have to provide exceptional service to get people to want to come in and have that experience of dining in because at the end of the day, yeah. I can order your food directly to my doorstep and I don't need any human interaction. Yeah. And you know, your previous podcast talking with Gio about robots. I mean, that's kind of in that same yeah. vein yeah. there. It's you can, I have a phone, I can order food delivered to my doorstep. Yeah. I just have to say hi to the person who's delivering it, but otherwise I don't need to deal with the person. I don't have to have that interaction or worry about going in and having someone who's not in a good mood providing bad service. Yeah. I can avoid all of that. So as a restaurant industry, especially, I guess hotels, you can't really, well, I guess Airbnb in a sense, you could do that as well, but, um, you are competing against a digital market and you have to provide exceptional customer service in order to stay competitive. Exactly. And let's face it, tech is only getting bigger and bigger Yeah. in store, in person, retail chains. Yeah. Unfortunately, getting smaller. And at the end of the day, we want to have, um, as humans, we do crave human interaction. So um, with that said, you know, as a, a hotelier or a restaurateur, you want to stick out amongst your competition of having employees who are delivering such phenomenal customer service and taking care of the guest and having a guest forward thinking mindset that that guest is going to speak highly of that winery and as a result, continue to go back. Because, yeah, you could easily order a shipment of wine each week or each – well, each week, would well, that be a lot. Each <laughs> month, right? You could order a shipment of wine and that's great. But you're still going to go back because you want to engage with that employee who's commuting from Irvine because he or she knows their wine and they're willing to talk about it and get you excited. So with that, to wrap up, as I ask all my guests, you know, I have one final question. You're a listener of the podcast, so you knew this question was coming. Um, and that is if you could go back in time – and give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be, Elliot? Oh, this question. Oh, for me, even too, like looking 20-year-old self, I'm 28 now, it's eight years ago. and Still even, young. Still, still young. young. I even think I, there's so much more I have to learn. So who am I to give advice to my 20-year-old self? But really, uh, if I kind of drill down to it and think about it, uh, it would be don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Uh, I definitely... and. Sorry, mom and dad, you're not going to like to hear this one. But in college, it was super easy for me to just hang out in my room, play video games, drink in my apartment with my roommates, and not really go out as much or go to parties and try put that effort forward to socialize, mm -hmm. quote-unquote, network. And when, as I moved into my first job, that sales role, going to conferences, having to work with these stores, it was definitely a major transition for me to have to all of a sudden 
hey, you're going to be in situations where you have to network, you have to talk to people, you have to foster those relationships. And I feel like I hindered myself a little bit and then was a lot in my head hmm. as to, well, what, what am I supposed to be saying to these people? What conversations do I need to have? How does that directly, you start overthinking. And now that I have some more experience and have gone to many a trade show and have experience in, in working, and this is beyond just sales. It could be, yeah. anyway, it could be you're in the accounting department and you need to build that relationship with your vendors because maybe an unhappy vendor is not going to pay on time and you obviously cash flow is a major thing. You want to make sure people are paying on time. Um, so really just putting yourself out there to foster and build those relationships. And at the end of the day, it is insane. It, it, it's who you know. It yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be what you know. As long as you can build relationships and that is a majority of what business is, and that's what we all have to do. Love it. So there you have it, everyone. Well, we're going to wrap it up by toasting our wine glasses together. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, thanks for joining us today on the MOD Report. Thanks, Ryan. It's time for the MOD Report, the segment where we tell you about a crazy experience you've been through at your work location. Oh man, this is one of those stories where you really had to be there in order to experience what I experienced with some of my colleagues. So here, here's the story. I'm sitting in my office as the HR director, minding my own business, doing what HR people do. And uh, a couple of folks come into my office, the chief engineer of the hotel, which was Weird. I'm like, why is the chief engineer here? Uh, as well as the front office manager come rushing in. They're like, Ryan, you gotta come upstairs. You gotta come check this out. So <clears throat> I go upstairs and we walk in this guest room and the guest is already checked out and we open the door and it smelled so bad. I can't even describe it to you, but let's just say I started gagging a little bit. The windows were closed, the air conditioner was not running, there was no air circulation, but the rotten stench of poop and urine was highly present. And body odor, and I don't even know what it was, but it was disgusting. Well, I do know what it was because I'm actually looking at the video right now on my computer uh, that I still have. As we're walking through the room, the carpet was soaked in urine. You can actually hear it in the video of the squishy sound as you're walking on top of it. And, you know, the, we started walking throughout the, the, the room and we go into the bathroom and there's poop just spread all over the wall. And then you go into the where the bed area was and there was urine all over the carpet there was um, poop and feces just, just all over the desk. It was disgusting. The, the granite countertops inside uh, the, the bathroom were destroyed with some kind of a chemical um, that just discolored the granite and just ruined it. And the mirror was cracked and it was destroyed. The mattress was soaked in urine. So gross. So the room was destroyed with over about, well, way over $10,000 worth of damage. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, the hotel never recouped the cost. The, the guest was a cash paying guest and we did not have any other information on the guest to track them down. And so I don't believe we recovered that cost. 
Um, but hey, the lesson learned here, folks. We need to do wellness checks to protect our asset. It's okay as the hotel innkeeper, it is your legal right to do wellness checks on the guests if they have their D&D sign, their do not disturb sign up for a given amount of time. But I would say a great general policy is 72 hours. If you have a D&D sign on your door for uh, more than 72 hours and the housekeepers are not going in there to check on the guests or um, look at the room to make sure that this doesn't happen again, then you are taking a huge risk. So with that, that's the lesson. And that is the MOD report. That's it for today. I want to thank you for listening. Please tell your friends, your frenemies, and your coworkers about us. Subscribe and leave a review. It really does help the MOD report get out to those who need to hear it. I'm Dr. Giffen, and this has been the MOD Report. See you next time.